This is The Guardian. Today, what is Prince Harry's memoir really about? There's been months of speculation. A six-hour Netflix documentary. Hysterical coverage. Spare was finally due to be published on Tuesday, the 10th of January, 2023. What did Harry have left to say? Was there anything left to reveal? I knew I had a book that everybody wanted to read. You run back to your nearest desk and you start to read it and you realise in this case you've got something explosive. Martin Pengeli is breaking news editor at Guardian US and six days before any other journalist in the world he had his hands on the book. I ran back to my apartment, ran into the back bedroom, shut the door, opened it and read with a highlighter in hand and a notepad. We went to the Megan section because we thought that's where the news would be. And that's where Martin found a bombshell. A dramatic scene in which Prince William physically attacked Prince Harry as they argued over Meghan. It's seven o'clock on Thursday, the 5th of January. The headlines. A newspaper report says Prince Harry's book will include a claim that his brother William physically attacked him. According to the Guardian newspaper, the book describes an argument in 2019 at the cottage where Harry was living. Harry writes that William called Harry's wife, Meghan, quote, difficult, rude and abrasive, and then later grabbed Harry by the collar and threw him to the floor. Well, those allegations are made in a leaked copy of his new book, which is set to be published next week and seen by the Guardian newspaper. And that was just the tip of it. Harry's 400 pages of his story spares few details. It's his trauma. His account of what it's really been like to grow up under the shadow of his mother's death. His brother's petty rivalry. And a tabloid press he says try to destroy him. Going back to the relationship between um, certain members of the family and the tabloid press, those certain members have decided to get into bed with the devil. And it's salacious. He talks about his drug taking, losing his virginity at the back of a pub, getting frostbite on his genitals. There were many times reading through it when my eyes widened. I have a lot of sympathy on the human level. It's a story of a difficult family. It's an uncomfortable feeling reading that book. It's very bald, very plain. But this isn't just a celebrity memoir or gossip for royal watchers. Harry has taken square aim at the heart of the British establishment, the media, his family, the monarchy, and what he calls their pact with the devil. And its impact is ricocheting around the world. He writes about speaking with his late mother, Princess Diana, through a medium, his recreational drug use of cannabis and cocaine, his controversial claim that he killed 25 Taliban members while serving in Afghanistan. 
From The Guardian, I'm Noshin Iqbal. Today in Focus, everything you wanted and didn't want to know about Spare and the damage it could do. Caroline Davis, you're a writer for The Guardian and you've covered the royals for the paper for quite a few years now. Naturally, you've been following the publication of Prince Harry's memoir, Spare. There's been a couple of big sensational interviews. We've had an account of a wicked stepmother, romps with older women, agoraphobia, and a lot of anxiety. In short, just a lot of extraordinary detail from lives that are usually stage managed in quite carefully controlled drips. Caroline, which of Harry's revelations did you find most shocking? Yeah, well, it's called Spare. And, and when you read it, you see why that is the perfect title. It really couldn't be called anything else. And this is part of the system of hereditary monarchy, you know, where a sovereign ideally is required to produce an heir and a spare, a kind of plan B, a support, as Harry describes in the book. And it's about how he's felt his whole life, that he is the surplus. And this is the theme that is constant throughout the book. He believes that he was brought into this world in case something happened. There's a quote in this book where you refer to your brother as your um, beloved brother and arch nemesis. Strong words. What did you mean by that? There has always been this competition between us, weirdly. I think it really plays into always played by the air spare. So this book is really the result of the unintended consequences of this system. You know, when the spare goes rogue and how powerless the institution, the firm is. Mm. And there are so many revelations in this book, you know, from the physical attack that Harry claims William launched on him when they had a row over Meghan. He was shouting at me. I was shouting back at him. It wasn't nice. It wasn't pleasant at all. And he snapped and he pushed me to the floor. He knocked you over. He knocked me over. Um, I landed on the dog bowl. You cut your back. Yeah, I cut my back. We've got Charles pleading with his sons, please, boys, you know, don't make my final days in misery. We've got his sons pleading with Charles not to marry Camilla. You know, he accuses a spin doctor that Camilla persuaded Charles to hire of leaking to the press details of her private conversation with William. He even says at one point that Camilla was, quote, dangerous. He says that when the couple married... In a funny way, he wanted, quote, Camilla to be happy because, quote, maybe she'd be less dangerous if she was happy. That's quite something to Mm -hmm. write. There are lots of personal revelations there, too. You know, he admits to smoking weed, to taking psychedelics to help him see, quote, the truth of taking cocaine in his youth. You know, we learn he lost his virginity to an old woman in a field behind a busy pub. But what we also learn in great depth is the trauma that he's carried ever since his mother's death. I just refused to accept that she was she was gone. Um, part of, you know, she would never do this to us, but also part of maybe this is all part of a plan. I mean, you, you really believe that maybe she had just decided to disappear for a time? For a time, and then that she would call us and we would go and join her. It wasn't until 10 years after her death when he was in Paris and he got his driver to retrace her journey that night at exactly the same speed, 65 miles per hour, that her car was travelling, that he seems to have been able to accept it. Wow. That's really so tragic, and there's so much detail in there. Caroline, of all the claims from the book and from the interviews, 
What do you think it tells us the most about the royal family and how it operates? What was new for you? For me, perhaps, it's the details of his relationship with William. Uh, and those are the very, very illuminating, you know. The two princes had never really enjoyed the very, very close relationship that we have perhaps been led to believe by the palace. According to Harry, William often pulled rank, um, the heir over the spare. That's what Harry's claiming. You speak about how your brother at times exerted or tried to exert the fact that he was the heir over you. And the argument, there were fights almost as if you should do what I tell you. Mm-hmm. And I know that Africa is very special to you. But your brother exerted his power to say, no, that's my mm-hmm. place. The elephants, the giraffes are all mine. Did you think that he knew how important Africa was to you and what you wanted to do, and that he did it to hurt you? No, to no. To exert that power? No, he didn't. It wasn't. Um, the exerting of the power is more like a, is, is, is a brother thing. Harry says the only time he really ever outranked William was when he attended Sandhurst before William, because William went to university. And at his passing out parade, William, who was also at Sandhurst, saluted. And um, Harry writes, you know, he couldn't resort to his typical attitude when we were sharing an institution. He could not pretend not to know me or he'd be insubordinate and for one brief moment spare outranked heir. You know, this competitiveness, it it even extended over their mother, you know, on the 20th anniversary of Diana's death at her graveside in Althrop. William said he thought their mother was there guiding them and had been helping him, William, start a family and that she was helping Harry too. And Harry writes, yes, you know, I nodded, totally agree. I feel as though she's helped me find Meg, you know. And he says, you know, Willie took a step back and he looked concerned and that that seemed to be taking things a bit too far. And said, he said, well, now, Harold, you know, I'm not sure about that. I wouldn't say that. But I also think one of the saddest revelations is Harry's struggle to come to terms with his mother's death. And so much triggers him. You know, he's on safari in Botswana and a leopard comes into their camp and he sees that leopard as a messenger from her, telling him that all will be well. You know, even attending William and Kate's wedding in Westminster Abbey and he's immediately taken back to Diana's funeral held in the same abbey. You know, the list goes on. Every day has been a struggle. That comes across, you know, very, very clearly. Caroline, the book also reveals some quite dangerous details, such as Harry's admission about killing 25 Taliban fighters. Who do you think is advising him and why would he make statements that would endanger him and his family in this way? This is probably one of the most controversial revelations and it has not gone down well. You know, he has been accused by army veterans of being crass, by talking about his kill count. I think one high profile former soldier has said, you know, quotes, we don't do notches on rifle butts. Uh, Harry has said it seemed to him essential not to be afraid of that number. So he says, so my number is 25. It's not a number that fills me with satisfaction, but nor does it embarrass me. He does go on to say that he would have preferred not to have killed anyone, but that this was war. But it was his his attempt to explain how he had to dehumanise those enemy combatants in order to kill them that has proved equally, if not more controversial. You know, he said that he saw them as chess pieces that had to be removed from the board. And that, of course, has caused outrage, Mm. you know, with Taliban responding that they were not chess pieces. They were humans with families just like him. I suppose people could see what he was trying to explain. But I am extremely surprised that this appears in the book, that someone did not advise him that it was unwise, that an editor did not question whether or not that perhaps should be included. You know, it it is inflammatory. It's not just raised the threat level to his own security, it said, and that his family, but also it said it's raised the threat level against other serving members of the armed forces Mm -hmm. and Afghanistan veterans. 
So after all the interviews, the documentaries, the book, what do you think is the central argument for Harry here? I mean, is this just a cry of pain and him telling his story or is there a grander mission? Can I just say firstly Mm. that I think it's important to put this book in perspective. You know, the book has no real constitutional implications, really. And it's also very important to recognise that this is just one side of the story, because so far, Buckingham Palace and Kensington Palace have declined to make any comment on it at all. I think this book is about justification for him and Meghan taking the path they have taken, And at its heart is the main charge that his family, the King, the Prince of Wales and the Queen Consort, as they are now, and palace courtiers, that at the very least, they sat back and did absolutely nothing, while he and particularly Meghan were tormented and bullied by the press. A press, he says, is a racist press, and a press, he says, whose reporting had placed them in danger. So the central charge throughout this is that his family were complicit in this unbearable assault. They were complicit through their silence and their refusal to take on the media. Charles and William's aides, you know, were, Harry believes, responsible for the leaking and planting of stories against the couple in order often to fuel their own popularity. He claims that he's speaking out now after 38 years of silence. He claims that the family dynamics and the palace machinery had prevented him and Meghan from having their own voice. And now this is their voice. Well, ever since Harry and Meghan got together, there's always been two camps. One is either pro, one is either anti. And I wonder if you think the book itself and these interviews have damaged the Harry and Meghan brand with even their own supporters, you know, or... As the critics would say, it's all about the money. It's not really about the so-called truth. Well, is this a good PR move for him? You know, he claims after 38 years of not having a voice that there's nothing to be gained from silence. You know, he has said that silence only allows abusers to continue to abuse. And by that, we presume he means that's another reference to the press. Mm. And it seems his mission is to take on the press. But you would have to think that money has played a part in his decision to do this. I mean, he's reportedly had a very healthy advance. You know, some reports, unconfirmed, have put it as high as £20 million. And the Sussexes do now have to finance themselves. You know, the king cut off their financing once they stopped being working royals. So they do need to make money. And probably they need to make as much of it as possible and as quickly as possible. You do get the impression with this sort of blitz of book and Netflix docuseries and Megan's Archie-type podcasts that they're getting it all out there, that they fear that maybe they have a shortage shelf life. Mm. Although there seem to be some signs perhaps that people might be suffering a surfeit of Sussex. Caroline, the palace haven't yet made a statement, but do you think that will continue? There's been complete and utter silence from the palace officials on this. A few friends, as you would expect, have popped up in the media, briefing how hurt, you know, in particular William is. Other friends or former friends of of Harry have said that there's stories that they could tell about him. And I personally would be surprised if they put out any official statement. They will just be hunkering down. They will just be hoping for the storm to pass. They will not want to add anything to fuel the flames, especially in the lead up to the king's coronation. They will just want this to go away quietly now and then have a lead up to the coronation in May.
Zoe Williams, you're a columnist for The Guardian, and you have written about the Harry and Meghan versus Royal saga before. So let's zoom up for a moment and look at what they've said during the last couple of years about how they've been treated. Why do you think we are so gripped by this story? And what does it say about us? This is a really good question. In fact, this is the main question, because there's definitely an argument that we shouldn't really be talking about it, because it's it's not even a dot on the horizon of the crisis the country's in, generally. And the reason I think it is worth talking about is that it unearths two things for me. One of them is quite a fundamental racism in the British media, which is completely hiding in plain sight. I remember covering the wedding. There was euphoria from the public and the media. She says in the interview, from the beginning of our relationship, the press were racist. The point uh, that I think she was making was that headline that said straight out of Compton. Now, that might not mean anything to other people, but to a black person, Shaka, you'd understand this. It is, it is very painful. It's saying you're ghetto, that you're rough. And secondly, the fact that everything that can be turned into a culture war is turned into a culture war. Today, the son said Jeremy Clarkson had asked them to take down his column about Meghan Markle. That didn't stop it this afternoon, becoming the press regulator Ipsos' most complained about article in history. I hate her, he said. Not like I hate Nicola Sturgeon, the Scottish First Minister, or the serial killer Rose West. But, he said, on a cellular level. I kind of feel like we have to come up with a more muscular response than either kind of laughing at it or just ignoring it. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, that that's where the sort of rub is. Even if one is very aloof about the royals, what this whole affair has exposed are issues that we care about. It's misogyny, it's racism, it's social class and hierarchy. And, you know, fundamentally being played out with the monarchy, with the royal family, it couldn't be more made for the press. And I wonder, given that Harry has railed against that and, you know, throughout his publicity tour for Spare and throughout these interviews, what do you make of his criticisms of the way the machine operates and his own involvement within it. I feel like Harry's case that the royals made no effort to nip this kind of quite fevered atmosphere in the bud. Indeed, they kind of fueled it by by kind of leaking all this material. I feel like that is enabling the culture around it, which is bigoted. But it's very difficult to pin all this stuff on anybody. I mean, a leak in itself, you can't pin on anyone, can you? Because it's a leak. <laughs> so, I mean, I really feel for him. And I kind of think that that's probably how a lot of the British establishment operates, is by making it embarrassing to say anything, because your case is never quite as straightforward as you wish it were. Well, Zoe, there is this idea that there used to be more reverence towards monarchy, because in part, they had better control of what the public knew of them. But has the interest in the monarchy always been partly about the gossip? And has the family always been treated by a, like a soap opera? And does it need to be to keep its audience engaged? The, the fact is, until Princess Diana died, you know, people who think of themselves as like, you know, thinking people wouldn't mm. have given a rat's ass about the royal family. We wouldn't have thought about them. We wouldn't have talked about them. And then after that kind of outpouring of grief that didn't so much give anybody a catharsis as create an emotionality that wasn't there before, it became normal to to pretend that we were all royalists. But 
That's not true at all. Republicanism used to be a really normal position. You know, in any sixth form debating society, at least half the kids would have been in favour of abolishing the royal family. And that would have been a given. Whereas now that's become a sort of rogue position. That's become the sort of position that you can you can really get in trouble over. And especially since the death of the Queen. probably going to be like of the opinion of nobody else in the whole entire world but I just don't get it I don't get any of it <laughs> what I'm do you like, mean you don't get what yeah. I don't get why we're so obsessed with these humans that are exactly the same like it could be us four sitting there I just don't get it but um, are you talking about what you mean as royals or yeah. as like Kim Kardashian because for me they're becoming celebrities well to me that that's all they are monarchy is quite literally based on the supremacy of one single bloodline. It isn't fair, it isn't equal, and nor is it designed to be, and yet Harry is obviously not calling for its abolition. So what do you think it is that he wants? Well, I think he wants everybody to think he's in the right. I mean, as we all would, if we had a massive route with our brother. <laughs> I mean, come on, if you had like this red hot wound from a fight with a sibling and none of your family was speaking to you and everything you'd been brought up to expect had been taken away from you, you would want public opinion on your side. And fair play, I think he has been treated badly, if only in the sense that no effort seems to have been made to accommodate the woman he loved. But I'm much worried about the a just how divided we are. It's it just seems to be another one of those completely irreconcilable tram lines that we deal with all the time now. And b how much casual bigotry we we just swim in every day without even really noticing. And where do you think public opinion does sit now? I mean, I'm curious to know, as you know, a vowed Republican Zoe, what have, what have your WhatsApp chats been like, even amongst people who have no interest in the royals? What have people been saying? It's a bit like when Angelina Jolie and um, Jennifer Aniston were kind of resolutely pitted against one another in the battle for Brad Pitt. Everybody was just like, oh, just let them both live their lives and, and stop bothering me with it. And I think that's, that's what's going on. I, I would absolutely carry on the conversation about how we talk about race forever. But in terms of the personal allegiance between Harry, William, Charles, I just think they're destroying themselves. And I think that the, the attention just makes them worse. Do you think it could lead to a more Republican country? I think at the moment what it's doing is kind of the hardcore royalists, it's really baking them in. Um, hardcore Republicans, again, it's really baking them in. And everybody's got this kind of, everybody in the middle has got this kind of really awkward sense that they're required to have a much stronger view than they actually have. So often in the perception of Meghan and, you know, analysing all the acres of press coverage about her, there is this sense that either you're bigoted or you're just super pro her and think she's amazing and is going to change everything. But there's that sort of middle thing where she can be annoying and be this goopy wellness influencer and have had some really horrible things said and written about her. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a bit like being asked to line up behind Gwyneth Paltrow. You know, you'd be like, yeah, of course, if somebody was bullying her, I would line up behind her. But would I be happy taking her as a role model? I mean, not really. <laughs> and... 
I mean, she seems like a sweet woman, Meghan Markle. I knew that this was going to happen to her. I, I, I knew that she was going to really get pasted. And I knew that a lot of a lot of hostility towards woke culture, if you like, would be mediated through personal hostility towards her in such a way that it would be deniable and you would sound hysterical in pinpointing it. And that's exactly what happened. Zoe, finally, do you think Harry's actions in some way seem to play into the hands of the press, which, of course, through all his legal actions and everything he says, you know, he's determined to change? The thing is, so the new line against Harry and Meghan is that they're narcissists, they're attention seekers, they're money-grabbing, they're Californian, they're woke. And every time they say anything, one of those elements is picked up to reinforce one of the others, right? So it's like every time they say anything, it's like, well, if they weren't such narcissists, they wouldn't be airing their dirty linen in public. And that taints the woke agenda with the narcissism. And the only way to get out of that from their point of view is either to shut up completely forever or to just keep on talking. And I think that my my money is on them keeping on talking. (laughs) Well, there's still quite a few contracts to fulfill. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Coming up, Harry isn't the only spare to the air. What does he have to say about Prince Andrew? How does this compare with the other dangerous periods for the monarchy in recent times, notably the Queen's Annus Horribilis and the Diana period in general? Well, it's definitely a turbulent period, there's no doubt. You know, not only is is Harry venting his spleen, but we've also had the Duke of York and his legal travails. And some would say that's a more serious issue. However, the royal family is nothing if not resilient. You know, over the decades, it's dealt with many controversies. We had Edward VIII's abdication. We have Princess Margaret not being permitted to marry the divorced equerry that she fell in love with. We've had the War of the Waleses with both Charles and Diana's teams involved in brutal briefings against each other. We've had Charles surviving the embarrassment of extremely intimate telephone conversations with Camilla being, being leaked. We've had Fergie's toe-sucking her financial advisor. There's been a lot out there. This is just one other blip, you know, and, and, and some might say raises less serious issues than than Prince Andrew's friendship with Ghislaine Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein. And does Harry have anything to say about Prince Andrew? Because as you say, a lot of people would say that's the, that's the more serious charges here. There is another spare who's who's done far more controversial things, arguably. Has Does Harry make any mention of him in his book? Yes and no. The Duke of York gets two very brief mentions. The first is when Meghan is, is introduced to the late Queen, where she's popped in to have tea with Andrew and his, his ex-wife Fergie. And Meghan doesn't recognise Andrew. But the second mention is more pertinent. And that is when Harry is discussing with Meghan whether their security will be pulled. And he writes that they didn't think that their security would be pulled in this climate of hate and not after what had happened to his mother, Diana. And also he writes, not in the wake of my uncle Andrew. And he says he was embroiled in a shameful scandal, accused of the sexual assault of a young woman. And no one had so much as suggested that he lose his security. 
whatever grievances people had against us, sex crimes weren't on that list. Oh, wow. So it's just one small paragraph buried deep in the book. But it is significant because it is the first time we've heard a royal commentating in any way on the Andrew debacle. And also, you know, Harry does use the word shameful. Wow. Caroline, the release of Harry's memoir and the ensuing headlines do prompt more questions about how King Charles will manage the family like the Queen did. And so far, there's been, as you've said, no response from him or the palace. How do you see Harry's allegations, therefore, playing out? Well, I think as far as Charles is concerned, he'll just hope it all goes away. And he'll be furious that this is all happening right at the beginning of his reign. You know, according to Harry, he appealed to his sons, please, boys, don't make my final years a misery. So, you know, he will be hoping by the time it comes to his coronation on May the 6th that the focus will have moved away from the Sussexes. You know, and he employs a very professional team in his private office and and their job will, will be to ensure that this does happen and that nothing tarnishes his coronation. And do you think it is likely to still be a talking point by the time of King Charles's coronation? And does it matter if huge constitutional events like those are overshadowed by something that feels quite grubby and personal and bit of a scandal, really. I think it, it does matter. Nobody in the palace would want the coronation overshadowed. You know, I, I think you cannot underestimate how events such as the Queen's Platinum Jubilee and then, of course, her death, you know, they bolster the royalist cause. You know, there's the spectacle, there's the pageantry, there's the poignancy, especially of, of the Queen's funeral. It was led to complete domination of the news agenda over those days following her death. You know, there was no room for any Republican agenda there. So I think that these events such as the coronation do play more into um, the argument of, you know, put forward by monarchists rather than Republicans. And do you think there is anything in Harry's book that would have an impact on the future of the monarchy? And I'm thinking of William really here and the fact that he is next in line to the throne. Nowhere does Harry say that William's not fit to be king. He says time and again, actually, I love my brother, you know. But what doesn't come across in the book is that he alleges that William is petty, you know, that he's competitive, the heir to Harry Spare. You know, he's portrayed as taking sibling competitiveness to Olympiad levels. Um, So I don't think Harry is saying William is not fit to be king. But where it is damaging is that it's drawing the curtain back. You know, it's in very stark contrast to the public image of William, you know, the benign, smiling prince carrying out the bread and butter royal engagements. This is a very different William. You know, Harry's portraying him as a future king who is hot-headed, who can lose control and who can allegedly physically lash out. Caroline, how royalist do you think people actually are in 2023? We had King Charles's biographer, Catherine Mayer, who said that this could be the beginning of the end for the monarchy. Could it? Well, we'll, we'll wait and see. But, but I personally think that the monarchy is very resilient and they have overcome much in the past. I mean, we've had dramas that have been really, I think, greater than this. And Harry and Meghan's interviews with with Oprah and the interviews he's done in the run-up to the book's publication, they don't really compare with the interview that Diana gave, albeit under very questionable circumstances, it now transpires. Mm. But the interview she gave to Panorama and Martin Bashir, where she basically implied you did not think Charles should be king. So, yes, this seems an attack on, if not on the institution, on how the institution operates from someone who has seen it at close quarters. It is fascinating, but it is a bit soap opera. From the regular polling, the majority of people remain royalist rather than republican. 
But we are seeing changes. You know, we are at a time where other countries, of which the king is head of state, are reevaluating their position mm. with the throne. You know, we have the overseas territories. Barbados has ditched the crown. Other Caribbean countries are muttering about doing the same. You know, Australia has long debated becoming a republic. The narratives playing out now with the Sussexes and the Duke of York can only really benefit those champion republicanism in those countries. We may see more ditching the crown in Charles's era. Well, the last week, even though we knew the book was coming, the last week has still felt like we are watching the breakdown of a family in real time. And I don't think you necessarily have to like the royals or not, but it, it is still sad to hear all those details and the sort of gossipy nature of the dynamics that's been revealed. Caroline, do you think, despite Harry through all of this saying, I love my brother, I love my father, I want some sort of reconciliation, do you think there is any chance of that at the moment or in the near future? At this moment in time, reconciliation seems a long way off. To William now, do you text? Uh, currently, no. But I look forward to, I look forward to us being able to find peace. How I long want, has it been since you spoke? Um, a while. Do you speak to your dad? We aren't, we haven't spoken for quite a while. Um, no, not recently. Harry has said that he wants reconciliation, that his family don't want reconciliation just yet. Harry has also said he wants reconciliation, but with accountability. Um, his justification is that he needed to speak out. His justification is that, you know, how is staying silent ever going to make things better? And I'm not sure how honesty is burning bridges. You know, silence only allows the abuser to abuse, right? And he's also... He seems to be speaking out with this very clear purpose of trying to change the UK's media landscape. Caroline, can you explain how, how he's attempting this and whether you'll think he'll have any success? Well, it's a big task and he's attempting it through this book. He's attempting it through these interviews and he's attempting it through multiple legal actions through the courts. You've got three cases which are very rarely referred to against Newsgroup, yep. which you know may or may not come to court. You've got a case against the Mirror, which may or may not come to court, and you, with others, including Doreen Lawrence, Stephen Lawrence's mum, but you've, you've taken a case against the Mayor. I have to say, in all three cases, the accusations are very grave, and the stakes, I would say, are very high. I mean, I would say, certainly, like the Mayor, you're suggesting, you know, they hire private investigators to break into people's houses to plant listening devices. I mean, this is off the scale. They deny absolutely. Let's be clear, you would owe them a pretty abject apology if you're not right, if it's not proven. Well, if, these it wasn't, are, if it wasn't wrong, they would presumably sue us. Well, like, but these are grave allegations, and this is raising the stakes to putting, extremely yes, high levels. No, 100%. Yeah, putting, those, putting those claims in was, was an acceptance of the repercussions. The book has received acres and acres and acres of coverage around the world. But I think it's fair to say that in the UK... In some sections of the media, especially amongst columnists, that it has been received in rather negative fashion. It's been used to attack the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. Caroline, finally, there is an expectation perhaps that we will have a Meghan memoir coming next. 
So there does seem to be no sign that the drip drip of allegations against the royal family is going to slow down. How big a problem is this going to continue to be for them? Unpleasant, though the prospect is for the royals of yet another memoir, if that happens. They must be thinking that the Sussexes surely now have shot their bolt. What more is there left to say? And with Harry so far down the line of succession, he was sixth, but he's back up to fifth now after the death of the Queen. I think it would require some really destabilising new claims to cause any constitutional problems, though the drip, drip, drip is very undesirable and is unsettling. Caroline, thank you so much. Thank you. That was Caroline Davies and Zoe Williams. Do catch up with Caroline's piece, Brother, Where Art Thou? William Bears the Brunt of Harry's Angry Book for more on sibling schadenfreude. And follow Zoe's opinion pieces at theguardian.com. And that's it for today. This episode was produced by Natalie Khatena and Ruth Abrahams. Sound design is by Rudy Zagadlo and the executive producer was Huma Khalili. We'll be back again tomorrow. This is The Guardian.